you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number five. We'll read two verses. Galatians chapter number five, then we'll pray. And then we shall be seated. Galatians chapter number five. We'll read two verses starting in verse number 22. Galatians chapter number five. Beginning in verse number 22. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity you have given me, Lord, to uh, preach your word. I pray that you'll use me during this time. I do not take it lightly, Lord. I don't want to just fill a time slot. I want to, I want to help. I pray that you'll use me, Lord. Use your Holy Spirit to guide me during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. Thank you. Be seated. We see here a, a list given in Galatians chapter 5 as Paul is writing to the church of Galatia or Galatia. He's writing to them and he's trying to tell them of these certain attributes that is available to those that are saved. It's available to the Christian. It's a list of attributes, and it's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we need to be very honest this morning. Be very honest with yourself. Very introspectively honest. This list does not describe us. It does not describe our homes. And sadly, many times, it does not describe our church. Let's read it again. But the fruit of the Spirit, think about yourself, in every aspect, not just one or two. It's a fruit, not, not multiple, just like a raspberry. You don't take one little point of raspberries. I have a raspberry. No, it's the, all of them put together make a raspberry. You don't have an apple slice, they have an apple. They have a slice of an apple. It all comes together to make the singular fruit. So don't, don't try and take it apart. Don't try and dissect it to make yourself feel better. Be very honest. It is the fruit. They all come together. It is a package deal, you could say. The fruit. So let's read the, read the list again and be very honest as looking at your own life and say, does this describe me? If I were to describe my own life, would this describe me? F- funny enough, just random topic just came to my mind. Fiction writing is usually closer to nonfiction than nonfiction is itself. Because in fiction, we can almost put our actual self into a make-believe character. Whereas a lot of times, especially if it's nonfiction written by someone that knew the individual Uh, many of the less desirable attributes seem to get swept under the rug. But in a fictional writing, you know, it's it's make-believe, so they can really put in all the true heartaches and troubles and trials and downfalls that a person had. So we need to become very honest with ourselves. Take ourselves out of the equation and look at ourselves. Okay, an addict, nine times out of ten, never is able to overcome their addiction because they're never able to look at themselves and truly say, I have a problem. I have a problem. They understand it may not be the best thing for them, but they're not willing to get to the place where they say, you know what? I have a problem and I need to fix it. I need someone's help to fix it. We never get to that place where we understand I have a problem. So you have to be honest. So let's see here, the fruit of the spirit. Let's understand and look at ourselves. Love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, okay, for those that have been here for the, those things series, long-suffering has to deal with people. Patience has to deal with 
circumstances. So long-suffering is suffering long when dealing with people, even those that really just get under your skin and grind your gears, personality conflicts, whatever excuse you may try and throw in there. Long-suffering, there is no caveat to long-suffering. You suffer long because that's what God does to us. It's seen as well in the book of 2 Peter where it talks about uh, for God is long-suffering to us word. So love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. That's a very dying art in today's day and age. Gentleness, goodness, Faith, meekness, okay, there's a great misunderstanding of meekness. Meekness is strength, but it's under control. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man to ever live. Okay, Moses was a pretty powerful man. He was a very powerful man. He, he grew up in, in Pharaoh's house. He was an educated man. He was a strong man. He was a well-able-bodied man, but he had strength under control. He had strength under control. He was a meek man. Meekness, once again, a dying art in today's day and age. We, we think we have to show ourselves and always prove ourselves and always go forward because I have to show what I can do and I can do this and I can do that and I can do this. We're always trying to defend ourselves and, and, and bring it back to ourselves and show how good we are. That's not meekness at all. That's the opposite of meekness. That's strength out of control because we're just letting it fly out because we're trying to show everyone how good we are and how great we are. But that's not necessary to someone that is meek. Meekness Temperance, someone that has their temper. I heard recently that, that the phrase lost your temper uh, partly comes from uh, when you're dealing with a blacksmith, when he's working with metal, you have to temper the metal. That makes it much stronger and makes it much more durable and will help it keep its edge and will help it not break. Well, if you don't do uh, the, the quenching process properly and you do not deal with the metal properly, it will lose its temper. It will lose its strength and rigidity. Your temper, if you lose your temper, you're losing your ability to stay calm and stable. You're letting yourself fly off the handle like a crazy person, totally reacting to the situation. But the fruit of the Spirit says, if you have it, you're also going to have temperance. The ability to remain calm and steady even when everything is going crazy. Even when you should be blowing your top. Calm and peaceful. Just like a perfect, peaceful lake, calm and still. Against such, there is no law. So let's be honest. This list, in its entirety, once again, don't play the name game. Don't try and find the loophole. We live in the day and age of lawyers and sues and loopholes and all those things. Don't play that game. Don't play that game with God. It's the fruit. It's the package deal. Don't say, oh, oh, I'm good at this area or I'm good in that area. No, it's the package deal. Either you have it or you don't. That's what it comes down to. You either have the fruit or you don't have the fruit. So the fruit of the Spirit. Do, do these attributes describe you? If you're very honest, looking in a mirror, just like you can see yourself in the morning, looking in a mirror, would you say, these things describe my life? These are the words that I would use to describe me because it should be as a saved person that has the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It should be something that describes our life because it is the fruit of the spirit. Because if the spirit is there, this is what should be being produced. So that's not really what describes us. It does not. If we're very honest, it doesn't describe us. 
It doesn't describe our homes. And as I said before, sadly, many times, it doesn't describe our church and churches around the country and around the world. But honestly, let's be real. This, this list is pretty great. Who would not want this list to describe your life? I mean, just the first three, love, joy, and peace. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great deal right there in itself. If, you could, if your life could be described by love, joy, and peace, I mean, that in and of itself is done deal. I'll take two, okay? Uh, love, joy, and peace, but then you add everything else into it. Long-suffering, the ability to deal with people and to keep your cool when you're dealing with them. Uh, the ability to be gentle, to be good, to have faith. Meekness, strength, but it's under control. It's not just flying off the handle. Honestly, if this list could describe our lives, why wouldn't you want it to describe your life? Any, any person in their right mind, saved or not, would say, I would love for this list to describe my life. That's what I would desire, that I could have these words, these attributes, be what people would say about me if they looked at my life and they sat down and they said, words that describe so-and-so. We would all love for these to be the words that people would choose to describe us. But where are these words? Where are these attributes? Where is the love? Where is the joy? We live in a day and age where joy is dead. Amen. Right. Oh, 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 we have fleeting happiness and, and, and moments of, of, of gladness, but the true joy that is ever present. That doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter good day or bad day, there is still the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is ever present, and it's true. It happens. Once again, I remember this uh, Pastor Wilkerson, he's the pastor of First Baptist Church. He told a story when I was in college about when his eldest son died. About a week later, he was walking outside of his church down the, down the sidewalk, and he met a man, and the man started yelling at him. He said, I don't understand. How can you be smiling? Because that man had gone through a very similar situation just about the same time one of his children had just died, and he could not understand why he could have a smile on his face, even though less than just a week ago, his eldest son died in a car accident. We see this is the joy of the Lord. See, no matter good or bad, even though, yes, Pastor Wilkerson was hurting, him and his family, they were sorry. They were filled with sadness, but they still had the joy of the Lord, despite the time of sorrow. You see, that's what this list offers, saying it's not a conditional list of if everything's going well, you'll have these things. No, this is a all the time. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have these things. doesn't matter how it is. So why would we not want this in our life? Amen. Obviously, we would. So let's look at ourselves and say, why do we not? Why do we not? Well, they are the fruit of the Spirit. So they come from the Holy Spirit. So let us look at the Spirit to understand why we don't have the fruit of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, in many ways and many times, is probably one of the most misunderstood parts of the Trinity, of the Godhead. You have God the Father, you have God the Son, Jesus Christ, and then you have God the Holy Spirit. And, and a lot of times, we don't really understand what he does, what his job is, who he is to us, and we just kind of, you know, sweep him in there as thir third part of the Trinity. He's the third part of the Godhead. That's, that's who he is. It's, a, it's more of a trivia answer to us than anything else, which is a very sad sad thing, because we're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit this morning. So, the Holy Spirit. In our natural state, born into this world, we are sinners 
bound for hell. We do not have the Holy Spirit in our life. Like God, we are a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. But until you get saved, your spirit is dead. Inside of you, all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, the spirit of man died. Now, when you get saved, when you get to the point in your life where you understand, I am a sinner, I do not deserve God, I deserve to go to hell, and that's where I'm going. Once we get to that place, we're able to confess with our mouth, and then we're able to believe that, you know what, Jesus Christ died for me, so I don't have to go to hell, and we accept his free gift. Once that happens in our life, and we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And our spirit, as the Bible said, is quickened. It's brought to life. It is now alive again as God intended. Because God, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, it talks about him and Adam, they would walk in the cool of the evening. God desires to have a relationship with us. So when we get saved, our spirit is now quickened. It's brought to life. And the Bible teaches us that his spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit. God desires to have that relationship with you, just as you desire to have, we are a social people. That is how God made us. We desire to have social interaction with other individuals. People that go into solitary confinement for any, or, or any kind of solitude for any long periods of time, they literally will begin to physically change because we are not made Amen. to be alone. Yes. Even all the way back in the uh, uh, garden, garden of Eden, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. He looked at it, he said, oh, he had all these things. He had all the garden, he had all the animals, anything Adam wanted, and God looked and said, there's something missing. He shouldn't be alone. We're a social creature. That's how God made us. And he made us to desire that relationship just as he desires the relationship from us to him. So the Holy Spirit, once we get saved, the Holy Spirit then indwells us and now is living inside of us. And so he helps us. He helps us to grow as a Christian so, and we see in John 14, 16, and 17, just so we know, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. So if you're not saved, as the Bible says, they don't know him. You don't know the Holy Spirit. You have no idea who he is if you are unsaved. But if you are saved, then he dwells inside of you. He lives inside of you. That's what Jesus Christ said. And he also said he will be with you forever. He's not going to stay and go and take a vacation and I'll be back in two weeks. No, he is with you forever. Everywhere we go, everywhere we're at, he is always our steady companion. Now, once again, let's go back to our text here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit. As I said before, a fruit is something that is produced. It grows. It doesn't just magically poof, appear. You cannot just make a fruit grow. So if you have a plant, you know, you get an apple tree or whatever your favorite fruit may be, uh, you can't just buy it and then apples. It doesn't work that way. The plant has to go through its processes. Now, you can help it grow by making sure, you know, it gets water, 
sunlight, air, because if it doesn't have those things, the plant will die and you will not produce the fruit. Or, or you could give it more nutrients for its soil so it can grow stronger, it can grow better. These are the things you can do to help a fruit grow, but you cannot make the fruit grow. You can't go to it and just grow. Okay, there's no button to push. There's no thing you can do. The tree has to go through the process itself. But you can stop it from growing. You can aid it to grow, but ultimately the tree has to do the growing. So that should be a good thing for us because it's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of us. So it's the spirit's job to grow the fruit. So once again, if it's the spirit's job to grow the fruit, why is it not in our life? Because just as the tree's job to grow the apple, we can't grow the apple. So it's not our fault. So is it then the spirit's fault? Well, it couldn't be because... Hebrews 13.5 says, he will never leave thee, he will never forsake thee. John 14.18 says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And the Bible says in Titus 1.12 that God cannot lie. So God has made his promises and he says, I cannot lie, it's impossible for God to lie. Not even, a, not even a bit able for him to lie. So is the Holy Spirit dropping the ball? No, can't. It's impossible. He cannot drop the ball. His job is to grow the fruit, well the fruit will be grown. Well, as we just talked about, I can hinder the fruit from being grown. I can cause the fruit to not grow the way it should. So, therein lies our problem. We lack joy, we lack the fruit of the Spirit because we are hindering the fruit from being grown. I think of a farmer. Okay, a farmer, he has a field. Okay? He's not going to just grab a new crop that he has no idea about, never used before, and plant it in all of his fields. That would be a very foolish thing for him to do. Because his entire livelihood depends on, at the end of the season, him getting profit from the fruit that is yielded from his crops. So if he has no idea with the plants he has just planted in his, in his uh, uh, fields, he is risking his entire livelihood, being able to have money for food in the wintertime for dealing with a plant he has no idea about. It would be a very foolish thing for him to do. Now, if he wants to plant a new fruit, a new crop, he would make sure to do his due diligence, to do his research. Maybe the year before, he'll take a small portion of his field and plant it there so he could learn, okay, what is the best thing I need to do for this plant to make sure I can get the best produce of food, of the fruit that I'm desiring to get from it. That's what a wise farmer would do. Why? Well, because as I said, that's what his livelihood is based on. Not only would he not get a crop yield at the end of the season, but all the money he spent buying the seeds, all the time he spent working the field and planting, and the whole season he could have had growing other things, all a waste, all to be written off for naught, nothing to show for it. See, a farmer would not do that. A true farmer would not be so naive to do something so irresponsible. Why? Because his livelihood depends on it. 
his ability to take care of his family, his ability to take care of himself, depends on his ability to produce. So he would not do something so naive as to just put it up to chance. Hopefully I get it right the first time. He wouldn't do something so naive. But yet, we don't take this same mentality with the Holy Spirit. See, the farmer would make sure he knows what's the best way to deal with this plant. What is the best way to get the best fruit produced, the best yield of fruit from this crop? If I plant it this time of season, it might not do as well. If I do it over here, it might do better. If I give it this certain nutrient or this type of watering, all these different things as the farmer will deal because he understands the severity, the seriousness of if it fails, this won't be good. This will be very bad. You see, because he understands there's a seriousness to it. You see, and I feel like this is mainly the reason why in many of our lives this fruit of the Spirit is not producing is because just like the farmer knows his plants, we don't know the spirit because the spirit is the one that produces it. So just like a plant needs certain attentions, needs certain things, the Holy Spirit needs certain things to help us to be able to grow and to produce the fruit of the spirit. So let us learn about the Holy Spirit, just like the farmer would learn about the plant, to be able to make sure he is producing to the best of his ability, to be able to produce the best yield he can. Let's learn about the Holy Spirit. So first off, it's good to know his name, the Holy Spirit. He's known as the Holy Spirit, also the Holy Ghost. Or when you're reading in the Bible, as we see here in Galatians, any time where there's spirit with a capital S, as talking about the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Trinity God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That is who he is. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much the more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. And then in uh, Romans eight sixteen, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. So these are the different names of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know his name, if you don't know what he's called, you, you really don't know him that well. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, or the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, many different names, but he's still the one. His name. The Holy Spirit is a being, not just a force, not an it. He is a being. See, many people have a hard time having a relationship with the Holy Spirit because they're seeing him as some force that moves in and around. No, he's a being. The Bible refers to him as a he, as a him, not as an it. The Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. That is degrading. That is not, be, that is not belonging to God, the Holy Spirit. He is a being. In fact, one of the best ways to think of it is almost as just he's a person. Because, once again, we're social, we're social people. We want to have interaction with people. Do not think of the Holy Spirit as some unknown force that moves in and about. No, he's just, he's a person. And he desires to have a relationship with you. Just as you desire to have a relationship with those around you, he desires to have a relationship with you. He is a being. He desires to know you. 
John 14, 17 says, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. He's the spirit of truth. He desires to have that relationship with you. He is the comforter. When the comforter has come, whom I will send you. So he is not only a being, he also, he lives within us. As we've already seen in John chapter 14, he said, when Jesus Christ said, he will come and he will dwell with you. That's what he does. That's part of the job of the Holy Spirit is when we get saved, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to live inside of you. I will always be with you. So you will never be without your companion. So you will never be without God, the Holy Spirit. He has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Isaiah 63.10 says, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit has emotions. He can be grieved, which grieved means to make sorrowful. He can be vexed. To vex means to irritate, to make angry by provocations, to plague, to torment, to harass, to afflict. The Holy Spirit has emotions. He can be hurt. He can be brought down. Just like us, we have our emotions. He can be displeased. He can be disheartened by our actions. He has emotions just like we do. If we want to have a relationship with someone, it's nice to know their emotions. It's nice to know, okay, that, that made you feel good. Okay, that didn't make you feel good. Okay, it's a way to learn to better correspond and have a relationship with someone. He is who lives within us. What is the Holy Spirit's job? We have an understanding of who he is. We know his name. He lives within us. He is a being. He's not just some force that floats in and around. What is the Holy Spirit's job? What does he specifically do? With us. Well, first and foremost, as said many times from John 14, 6, he is our comforter, but the comforter. That is one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to be the comforter for us. Because God understands we still live in a sin-sick, cursed world. And the pressure of the world, the flesh, and the devil is constantly on the saved individual. Constantly trying to push you to do go away from God. And he understands the pressure is great. And so that is part of their job with the Holy Spirit to be the ever-present comforter. To always be there in time of need. To always be someone to to aid, to help, to guide. That is what a comforter does. They're there in your time of need, even if you just need someone to talk to. That is the Holy Spirit's job. He's always there. Anytime you need to talk, his ear is ready. He is ever present. He's always with you. He is your comforter. Not only that, in John 16, 7, 8, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. So Jesus Christ is speaking. He's teaching here. He's saying, look, I have to go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. The Comforter won't be able to come. So he's telling, he's trying to teach them this. So he goes on to say, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit does not only comfort us, he also reproves us of our sin. He also helps us to realize and point out things in our lives saying, hey, that's not the way it should be. That's not what it should be doing. You know you shouldn't be doing that. He helps guide. He helps give 
assistance. He helps reprove and say, hey, let's, let's not go that way. Hey, let's bring it back over. He's also the one during the preaching and during when the times of you're reading your Bible that will prick your heart and say, hey, you know that's you. He reproves. He tries to bring to your knowledge and bring to your eyes, hey, something is wrong. To reprove is to convince of a fault or to make manifest. The idea of manifest is, is uh, what a Broadway production Okay, Broadway production, they have a big curtain covering the whole scenario and scene. Well, to manifest is that same idea of pulling the curtain back, letting everything be seen. So that's part of the Holy Spirit's job is to make manifest, to make seen, ooh, I shouldn't be doing that. That's his job is to bring light on it, to say, we're not doing what we should be doing. Not only that, he, in, he empowers us. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's part of the job of the Holy Spirit, once again, is to give us the strength that we need. Once again, he's that ever-present help, always there, every step along the way, say, I'm here with you. I'm still here. God didn't tell me to go somewhere else. I'm still here. I'm still right beside you. I will give you the strength you need. He guides us to the truth, John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when the Father, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches you. This is, this is what makes, this is the big difference, and this is why, the Bible is not to be preached to the world. If the Holy Spirit is to teach us in all things, if you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you cannot be taught in all things. So the Bible, just in one ear and out the other, it's not going to make sense because you don't have the Holy Spirit saying, yes, that's what you need to know. That, that's what that means. So you need the gospel. So then you can get the Holy Spirit, so you can get saved, and the Holy Spirit will indwell you and quicken your spirit, and then he can start teaching you all things. So you can then understand the Bible and say, that makes sense. It starts to come together, just like puzzle pieces coming together. That's the Holy Spirit's job in our life to make sure we are growing in the Lord. He teaches us all things. Just as our eyes require light to see, for a person to understand the Bible they need the illuminating light of the Holy Ghost. You, your eyes will only work if light is present. If there is absolutely no light, your eyes will not work. Your eyes require light to see. If you can see, that means there is some light present. Some light is getting through, even if you can see even just the slightest bit. So in order for us to truly understand the Bible, we have to have the Holy Ghost. We have to have the Holy Spirit. Just as light for our eyes allows us to see, the Holy Spirit allows us to understand God's words because he teaches all things. So if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're not being taught all things. So he is your teacher. He's your comforter. He reproves of sin. He empowers us. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. He's trying to say, look, the Spirit knows you. He knows what you need. 
He understands you. He knows your spirit. He goes on to say in Romans 8, 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Not only is he your comforter, not only does he reprove you of sin and help bring you light to what you should do, not only does he empower us, not only does he guide us and teach us, he intercedes for us. To intercede means to go between, to go back and forth. So the Holy Spirit literally goes from you and brings you to the Father and brings things that you need to God, and then he comes back to us. He's always with you because he's a spirit. So he can constantly be in going in between you and the Father, but still being with you. He doesn't leave you, but he's always looking out for you, saying, you know what? You don't even know what to pray for. That's what it says. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Sometimes we don't even know what we need to pray for. We're praying for things we have no idea, but the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I know what he needs. I know what he needs, Father. God the Father, this is what he needs. That's what the Holy Spirit, he intercedes for us. He goes on our behalf to God himself and says, hey, they need some help. He doesn't even know what he needs to pray for right now, but this is what he needs. I, I know he wants this, but Father, this is really what he needs. I, I know his situation, I know his spirit. He doesn't even understand what he needs, but this is what he needs. He intercedes for us. He goes on our behalf. He represents us to God himself because he understands, you know what? We're weak and feeble creatures. We need some help. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm more than happy to intercede on your behalf. That is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He is our ever-present personal friend, guide, the one that looks after us, represents us and goes before God on our behalf and speaks to God for us. He is the giver of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11 goes through all these different things that the Holy Spirit can give. He can give this and he can give that. He provides us with gifts that we need. He is our friend. If we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit. We see the things that the Holy Spirit does inside of our lives. So when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. What you allow him to do at that point is entirely up to you. The best way I've found to describe it is think of your heart and your mind as, as a house. As big as you want. That's a big mansion, okay? Uh, as a house. The Holy Spirit, when you get saved, you open the front door and you allow him to come in. He now lives inside of the home of your heart. He now lives there. Now, oftentimes when we get saved, anything and everything the Holy Spirit wants, he has. But as time goes on and we cool off, we begin locking doors inside of our heart saying, ooh, don't go in this room anymore. Ooh, don't go in that room anymore. And eventually we get all the way to the place where we pretty much shoved the Holy Spirit into a tiny little broom closet and latched him in. We're still saved because he still lives inside of us, but we've confined him all the way into this tiny little room under the closet, under the stairs saying, this is where you stay. You can't have anything else out here. This is all my domain. 
So how do we get from the place where the Holy Spirit can say what he wants, can do what he wants, to the place where we're shoving him under the stairs so we don't even have to think about him anymore? See, you're still saved, but you lack the filling of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost desires to fill your entire house, to fill your entire being. That is what he desires, but he's not able to. So in, our, in order for us to be filled, first and foremost, we have to have a desire. Psalm 63.1, so, uh, David's writing here, says, Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. That's, that's the idea we need to have when it comes to God and his Holy Spirit. Just, as, uh, just imagine if you were walking for days in the wilderness or in a desert and you had no water. Your, your number one priority in life would be to get a drink doesn't matter what riches you have. You may have gone out into the desert to find some great treasure, and you found it. And you have all the gold and diamonds you could ever dream of, but they do you diddly squat if you're going to die of thirst. Amen. All the gold in the world can't make water appear out of nowhere. Amen. And that's what the psalm is. That's what David is trying to say. He's trying to give that mental picture of this is how much I desire God. As if nothing else matters except I get a drink. My soul thirsted for thee. That's what I desire. My flesh longeth for thee, as it said, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, imagine yourself in a desert in the wilderness, and there is no water. There is no place to drink around, and you just need a drink. You just need some water to be able to take another step forward. That is how David felt about God. He said, my soul thirsteth for thee. I'm in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That's our mindset we need to have when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Amen. I desire to have your filling like, like, like my life depended on it. Amen. Like it's the very thing I need just to go one step further. That's what we need. That's the type of desire, not a, oh, you know, it'd be nice. No, yeah, I'll take it. You know, take it or leave it. No, 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 no. It's a, I'm going to die if I don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen says, if ye then, being evil, know how to good, give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God says, why don't you just ask me? I'll help. I want to help. Ask and it shall be given. Ye have not because ye... Ask not. God says, it's right here for you. Just ask. Just as David said, we have to have that desire. My soul thirsts for thee. I need to ask for it. Father, I need your help. I need your filling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can only fill what is empty. You, you cannot fill something that is already full. If I have a glass of water, I can't fill it up. It's already full. So in order for the Holy Spirit to truly fill you, you have to be empty of self. My wants, my desires, what I think is good, what I think is great, throw it out the window. The Holy Spirit says, I have much better things for you. But you have to empty of self. And the Holy Spirit says, then I can fill. See, and that's why we keep on shoving him under the broom closet, because things that I want to keep, that I want to, I like, 
Ah, you've put so much life into this. It's like someone that has their little thing, uh, this old rundown bike and they work for, and they, and they say, and someone comes along and says, hey, why don't you give that to me? You know, behind the scenes, they, they have a brand new, absolutely unbelievable bike. But since we put so much life and effort into it, we don't, you're not willing to trust them. He says, I have something better for you, but I need that first. See, because the Holy Spirit can only fill what has already been emptied. So he's waiting. See, because as the David said, he says, I desire thee in a dry and thirsty land. He says, I am empty. I am empty. I've poured all myself out. There's nothing left. I desire to have what you have for me, God, not what I had. I've poured it all out. There's none of it left. It's barren. It's dry and thirsty. I want what you have for me. I must not only have a desire to be filled, I must be filled with the word, John 15, 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. So God says, Jesus Christ teaching, he says, look, if you want, I'll abide in you and if my words abide in you. So if you're saved and my words, the Bible abides in you, then you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So if, if the Bible is abiding in me because I'm already saved and I have his words abiding in me, the word is constantly being filled in my life. Amen. Then when we ask God, God, I need your Holy Spirit's filling, God says, got it. You, you've done what I've asked. You have Jesus inside of you. You've been saved. You're filling yourself with the word of God. That's the prerequisites. If I abide in you and if my words abide in you, Two prerequisites. That's it. Ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That's it. One plus one equals two. If I abide in you, and if my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. I must be filled with the word. I must be patient and consistent. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a miracle of a moment that's Getting saved is. That is a miracle of a moment that God allowed you to have. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is the process of a lifetime. It's a constant, everyday work of, I need to do this. I need to grow. Hebrews 10, 36 says, For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. I, I need to be patient in, I have to work for it. I have to work for it. Just like a person uh, desiring to work out and to grow muscles, you don't just go down there and put 400 pounds on the bar and just start pumping it. That won't work very well. You'll die, okay? Okay. Uh, it's, you can't do it. One of the hardest things for people trying to grow muscle or lose weight is having the patient consistency of doing it and doing it, even when it seems like I don't see anything happening. Nothing's happening, but something is happening. That is how the Holy Spirit works. It's a lifetime process. It's not a miracle moment where you do it once and all of a sudden you look, boom, it happened. No, it's a lifetime process. It's one of those things where after you've been down the road a while, you look back and you say, wow, I don't even recognize it. Because it happened in such small increments. You look back and say, that was me? That's what it is. It is a process. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our guide. 
He desires for us to grow. And he says, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. I can see the progress. You may not be able to see it, but I can see the process. So keep coming back. Be patient and consistent. You'll grow. Keep coming back. I want you to come back. Keep coming back. He desires for you to come back. Being filled with the Spirit is a process of a lifetime, a, a, a journey, an endeavor. And there may be days when mountaintops. There may be days when it's the valley, the lowest of the low. You couldn't be lower than you are right then. But he says, keep coming back. Keep coming back. I'm still here. I'm still right beside you. I'm still here. That is what he desires. He desires for us to know it's a constant work. It's a balance to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way. How do we fill with the Holy Spirit? Don't quench him. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the spirit to quench as the idea, well, it's not the idea, it is to extinguish, like you're trying to put out a fire. You're trying to kill it. Quench it. Allow it to not be there anymore, to quench your thirst. You're killing the thirst by drinking. To quench the fire, you're killing the fire by not allowing it to live anymore, by allowing it not to burn anymore. That is what you're doing when you quench the spirit. You're not allowing it to have its, to have its work. He desires to have a work, but when you quench him, you're not allowing him to have that work anymore in your life. Well, how do you quench him? Well, by not following his will, by not following his leading, by disobeying the word of God. When we do that, we're quenching him. And that's how we're putting him in the broom closet under the stairs. We're locking him away. That's quenching the spirit because I'm locking things out of his, out of his domain. No, you can't have that. No, you can't have that because God will not force himself on you. When he made Adam and Eve, he desired a love relationship. He didn't want to make robots that followed God and everything that he did. No, he said, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to love me like I love you. So he will not force things on you. So as we lock things out, we're quenching the Holy Spirit. And he's down in the broom closet underneath the stairs, and he's calling out to you. But you know, the funny thing is, if you put up with something long enough, it'll just mellow out in the background. Don't even notice anything. It happens with uh, babies crying or things working on in the background. Things are going on, and then they stop, and you don't even notice that they stopped. And at first, it was so annoying, because it was constantly constantly pricking at your heart and constantly causing you to think about it and constantly bringing it back up. Just like a callus, you work at something, you work at something, you work at something, you'll get to a place where you don't even feel it anymore because all the dead cells have built up. It's dead. That's what a callus is. To be hard-hearted, the Holy Spirit's trying to prick at your heart. Hey, I'm still here. I'm stuck in the broom closet. But after a while of just acting like it's not there, we eventually really believe it's not there because we become deadened to it. The dead cells have begun to mount up. And Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, why did sect? You look good on the outside. Oh, you look great. 
on the inside, dead. Dead. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption. Then it goes on in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So Paul is trying to teach them here. He says, look, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not hinder his work in your life. Then he goes on to give a list saying, hey, these are some of the things that will for sure grieve the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Put away from you. Not just put away from you. With all malice. Get it out. And get it out now. And don't let it come back. Amen. Put up a guard that can't be brought down. Throw it across the bridge and burn the bridge so it can't come back. That's what he's trying to give the picture of. With all malice, don't let it come back. Amen. Because it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you're going to begin to lock the doors in. And then before you know it, shoved underneath the stairs, locked in the broom closet. That's where the Holy Spirit is. He's still there. He's still calling out. If you're saved, he's still in there. He didn't leave. He can't leave because he made a promise. And God cannot lie. And he said, you've been sealed unto the day. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Psalms 51, 12. David is writing here. This is after Nathan has come to him and pointed his finger at him and says, Thou art the man. This is after that. He wrote this psalm after that. Psalms 51, verse 12. David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You see, David was going through the time where he realized he had locked away the Spirit of God under the stairs. He had lived in his sin. And his sin had brought more sin. And his sin had brought more sin. And every step of the way, he was locking more doors and locking more doors in his heart until he had the man of God look at him and say, David, you're not getting it. You've become so numb to the Holy Spirit. You don't even understand. This is about you, David. And this is what David makes David different than almost every other king. As opposed to a Saul or someone like that. He didn't just say, oh, well, you know, tough. He said, oh, this is me. I, I have sinned before Almighty God. And he went and he unlocked the door. And in this psalm, he's begging God. He says, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Remember, that's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, we can see David wasn't having the filling of the Holy Spirit because Amen. he didn't have joy. Amen. He was lacking the joy that only God can bring. And as he sat there and looked, he looked at his life and said, I know what the problem is. I, I left him locked away when I started going my way. Amen. When I decided to do what I wanted to do, right. when the kings went out to battle, another step and that led to another step and all of a sudden David was way down here and Nathan finally said hey David 
Look back where you were. Look how far you've come down this path. And David's one day. See, because just as growing in the spirit can happen in a little bit of time, often going away from the spirit does as well. We don't just wake up one morning and just slam them into the broom closet. It's a low, slowly. There are no blowouts in the Christian life, just slow leaks. You know, funny thing about that, a lot of slow leaks, you don't realize them. And when you run a tire on low pressure, it begins to eat away at the inner sidewall of the tire. Well, that will weaken it. And so it looks like, because it will eventually blow out, and it looks like it just happened out of nowhere. But if you actually look on the inside and understand, this was something that happened a long time ago. It's low and slow. It just wasn't taken care of. It seemed like a big thing that just happened out of nowhere. But it was really on the inside. Just slowly eating away. Because it wasn't being taken care of. The leak wasn't being taken care of, so the tire wasn't able to stand as it should have. So just as it's a slow process to grow in the spirit, a lot of times it's just a little bit of time. Ah, no, no, no. God tries to speak to you about something. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But whatever you think. Well, I mean, that's kind of speaking of yourself because what do you think whenever you wake up in the morning? Are you worried about others or are you worried about yourself? You see, because if we weren't worried about other people, we wouldn't be worried about what other people thought about us. Because that's when the rubber really meets the road, is when nothing between my soul and the Savior. We get to the place where we truly understand it's almost like no one else is even here. Just you and God. The Holy Spirit is shouting your name, just as Nathan stood there with David, pointed him out and said, You know, it seems like it'd be so crazy to get to that place where you would seem so deadened to your sin, but empty altars is when things really shine, doesn't it? Deadened palaces. Yeah, probably have more puns than that. And the Holy Spirit has been locked away in the broom closet. We're not even sure where it's at anymore, honestly. It's been so long since we've been over that side because he keeps on shouting and screaming. I've gotten used to it, but still, when I get closer to it, sometimes it starts to starts to get to me again. So I don't even go there anymore. So where we started with the question of where where is the fruit? Where is the fruit, Christian? If you are saved, the fruit should be there. Just as if I plant an apple tree should be there. But obviously if I put it in a dark box where there is no sunlight, apples probably won't be there. The tree probably won't be there for much longer anyways. Where is the fruit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Against such there is no law. Not saying that the law doesn't apply to you, but if you have those, if you're filled with the Spirit, law is not there for the law-abiding citizen. It is there for that 
do not abide by the law. That is why you need a law. So if you have no problem with it because you are filled with the Spirit, and this is what defines your life, that doesn't sound like someone to me that I need to worry about doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That doesn't sound like someone to me. Ooh, keep an eye on them. Hmm, I don't know what they're going to do. No, that's, that's not what would you describe someone like that. As I said before, we have to be honest with ourselves. As in the book of James 1, 23 and 24, For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, he sees himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Just like when you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you see all the problems the night has caused, hair, doing whatever else I want to do, pillow lines on the face, the room or the eye boogers in the eyes, all these different things, drool, all that wonderful things. You look at that and say, just walk out the house like everything's good to go. I'm ready for the day. That would be a very foolish thing to do, very irresponsible thing to do. But we do it every day. Maybe not on the outward man. Because once again, as Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, look at the sexual person. Oh, you look good. Pharisees were good men. Oh, they were good. They would put us to shame with how religious and good they were. But Jesus Christ says, filled with dead men's bones. Oh, you look great. Outside, man, you look good. You got it all together. But the spiritual man, the inner man, he's a wreck. You haven't even looked at him for months. He's just ooh, scary to look at. You haven't taken care of him. You look in the mirror and just forget. Oh, wow, man. The Holy Spirit says, hey, 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 hey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. The Holy Spirit says, hey, what about this? And then uh, I forget. That's what it's saying. You look at yourself in the glass. You look at yourself in the mirror. We don't care. And we don't do anything about it. The Holy Spirit screams our name, pricks our heart. And when we get up and walk out, what, what, what was I saying about? Okay, whatever. Affect me at all. I'm good. I feel better now. Oh, that's that's good. If we do not have the fruit being produced in our life, then we should clearly see, just like a mirror to our face, we are not filled with the Spirit. See, because if you're filled with the Spirit, that will be in your life. There is no guesswork. There is no maybe. There is no if, ands, or buts. The fruit of the Spirit is. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And God, that cannot lie, promised. So therefore, it will be that way. 
So if I'm filled with the Spirit, if my house is open to him to have his free will and way, that will be in my life. I will have the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It will be in my life. There is no doubt. So if it's not in my life, then there is no doubt. I'm not perfect. And just like James said in the Bible, look, I look at my life and I say, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I don't see it. Whatever. Because that's, that's what we're doing. If it's not in our life, that should be a red flag. Amen. Sirens going off that, hey, there's a problem because the fruit is not there. So where is the fruit? Well, once again, to fill something, it has to be empty. So we've taken the fruit, torn it out. You see, because when we first get saved, anything and everything. And we can, we can understand this. But as we go off and we cool down and start locking the rooms and we filled it back up with ourselves, the process never ends. It's not a miracle every day. It's a process of a lifetime. It's a journey every day. No, no, no. I'm going to do what I need to do. See, if I am filled with the Spirit, the fruit will be there. Not just for me to see. Everyone around me will say, yeah, look at that. Look at the fruit that's being produced there. They're filled with love, joy. It's all there. It's all there. You know what else will happen? Not only will you not just have what's similar to the fruit, not just, you know, maybe here and there, no counterfeits, nothing like that. No, no, no. You'll have the fruit of the Spirit. Not the devil's counterfeits. Not the if, ands, or buts. No, the real deal. But also, how can I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? There'll be a change not just my life will show forth the fruits. I'll have internal love, joy, and peace and external love, joy, and peace. Not only will I have long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness with those around me, not also will I have stronger faith in God and I'll have meekness and temperance. Not only will I have all those things, but as the book of Ephesians 5.18 says, and be not drunk with wine or as an excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. See, the Apostle Paul is trying to give a, once again, just like the psalmist was, he's trying to give a mental picture. When you are drunk, when you are drunken, your behavior has changed. Your inhibitions are gone. You now no longer have control of yourself like you could have, like you should have, because you are drunken. He's trying to give a mental picture of, well, the Holy Spirit also changes your behavior. But as opposed to having lack of control, you now have complete control and in the way that God wants you to have. Because the Spirit is now at the helm. The Spirit is there helping you guide each way. So not only if I'm filled with the Spirit will I see the fruit in my life. 
It'll also be in everything that I do. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. See, those are signs of the spirit-filled life. Everything I desire, even if it's what route to take in the morning to walk. I believe that's the way. And the Bible says in all. God says, I don't care how small it is. I don't care how minute it is. It doesn't matter if it seems nothing to you. I want to be with you. I want to have fellowship with you. And my behavior will change. I will desire the Spirit's leading no matter what I do. No matter how small it may seem, my behavior will be dictated by the Holy Spirit as opposed to me and the flesh and the pressures of the world and the pressures of the devil. Because those are your two options. You're either being controlled by the external, the world, the devil, and your flesh. Your behavior will change. We've locked him away. We don't even know where he's at anymore. We've locked different rooms of our life. Dress standards. Music standards. What I want to look at. What I want to read. What I want to think about. We've locked those doors. And all of a sudden, God is just asking too much. You know, too many of us have the martyr complex. Oh, God's asking too much now. I can't believe it. I don't think, and I'm being highly sarcastic, I do not think God is asking more of you than Jesus Christ. doesn't even come close. See, because too often we're, we get the martyr complex of, oh, I've sacrificed so much. See, because Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, it is your reasonable service. It's not the Medal of Honor. You haven't gone above and beyond because you've sacrificed, you've given yourself a living sacrifice. God says, oh, good job. reasonable portion. That's what I'm asking. Just the reasonable. You see, because when we really look at it in what Jesus Christ did for you, dress standards, music, what I read, what I watch, what I allow to live inside of my brain, what I allow to stay there and to fester, that should go in a deal. Reasonable. Reasonable. I am a worm that is bound for hell, I don't deserve anything. And Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, came and died for me. The Christ gave his life for me. It's reasonable. It's it's less than reasonable. It's it's a no-brainer. Why? But as we go along, we cool off. We're just, again, locking rooms. And the Holy Spirit tries to get us, but we just get numb to that, and we get numb to that, and 
we get numb to that because this is my life. I, I'm going to do what I want because I, I, have, I have created it. You see, in fact, you're exchanging your liberty for the chains of sin again. See, we think we're getting liberty because I'm free. But we're just latching ourselves back up for the chains of sin that took us away. The Holy Spirit is our friend. And he wants us to succeed. He wants us to grow. But that only happens when he has full and free access. It'd be like uh, you have a, a infestation of some sort of bugs in your house, and the terminator comes, and he comes to terminate them, and uh, he says, okay, I'll need access to all the rooms. I said, okay. And he says, all right, I'm going to go in this room. Oh, no, you can't go in there. Well, it's not going to do any good. I can kill them all out here, but if they're still in there, then they're just going to So why wouldn't you just let him in? Because he's just minor. He's just trying to help. He's trying to get some garbage out of your life. But you just want to keep it in there. Why are we the way that we are? Why are our families the way that they are? Why is our church the way that it is? Of all places, Independent Fundamental Bible Group, King James Bible, Soul Winning Church should have the fruit of the Spirit. introspectively and says, you know what? I need to find the rubble that locks my life up. I can't live my life as I have. Don't say wrong. Maybe search the corridors and the rooms of our heart and find where did I lose the Holy Spirit? Where did I lock him away? I know he's in there because I'm saved. But where did I lock him away? And then you and him, once you find him and let him out, you need to have a good spring clean through every room and say, okay, what needs to go? Because it needs to go before he can fill it. He says, I want to show you great and wonderful things. God says, I want to show you my power. But you need to be filled with it. You want to know power? You want to see things you can't even imagine? Did Jesus Christ even talk? the grain of a mustard seed just bigger than a grain of sand did you have that faith you asked that mountain to be moved done Jesus said to Peter oh thou little faith he was just walking on the water better than oh thou of no faith stayed in the boat See what little faith can do? And God says, if you trust me, 
I will show you great and mighty things. But I need to write it. I need the words of life so my Holy Spirit can have full access. We need to go through our heart, find the broom closet when we get to stairs and we need to latch to the word. to go, we go. Unlock it and throw away the key. I don't even want this anymore. This is yours. This is all yours. Take and do with it as you will. You see, because then you will truly see the freedom that you have. Then you will truly see the change in you then we will truly see the great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You don't even understand. You can't even sniff about the name. You see, because then we won't just have a flash or a glimpse. We won't have counterfeits or mislabels or misunderstandings, but the true, unalterable power of God. Something that should be coursing all inside inside of our churches, inside of our homes. But it all starts inside of you. You see, God says, you, your families, your church, your nation, the world, only can be changed if you're willing to give up my spirit and take my true place. Weak, anemic Christians friend, who's with us everywhere we go, the Holy Spirit, he's always there. He's just waiting for you to say, it's your God. Because as David said, I've sinned. I can't believe I've come so far. Your spirit comes with you. Makes you know my salvation. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for us to say,